0: Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40 something geek dads. I'm David Moore, and I've been sailing in a boat, which is bumpier than a dirigible. And uh, I've also been digging heavily into books pulled from several of the libraries here in the lair.
1: And I'm Ken Newquist, and I am happily buried under many of those self same books from the library in the lair. So what you've been up to? Yeah, uh,
0: I was uh, speaking of sailing in a boat. Um, that was the big thing. Uh, I think I mentioned it in the intro for uh, the Philmont episode. But um, <clears throat> given the order of these, who knows when they're, they're going to come out? Uh, you know, we, getting things out of the layer through that, you know, time barrier is really difficult sometimes. Um,
1: it's very wibbly wobbly.
0: Very, very wobbly wobbly. Very. Uh so I I Aaron and I, we got our ASA sailing training. Uh we did that at Lake Monroe here in Indiana. We we completed it. Uh it was a lot of fun. Uh the water was really super smooth because there was almost no wind. Training, we got all the training on how to sail in very, very low wind. <laughs> we we did get up to about there was enough to actually do the training yes there was enough to do the training uh up until the docking portion uh and, like like coming into uh into a pier or a dock and how to how to approach it um we were going to approach it and and they were going to talk about like if it's blowing into the wind is blowing into the dock or wind's blowing away from the dock we did all the different ways to do it but we had to motor in order to do it but uh, but yeah, we we pulled up the the mainsail, pulled up the jib. Uh, we we sailed around a fair portion of Lake Monroe for several hours, and then it's a two day course. So that evening, we knew there's going to be a there's a paper test as part of the certification, and so we we're we were reading the ASA one hundred and one. Uh, book uh both of us were reading through it and uh so to keep us uh so we weren't just reading it in a silent hotel room we turned on the tv and on it uh on one of the channels uh you know i don't watch tv tv anymore uh we watched three of the newer death race movies Uh, which is
1: that's fantastic. (laughs) Yes. Uh,
0: What what really surprised me is Aaron actually really loved them too. We, uh, we, yeah, nearly six hours of death race movies. So, um, you know, actually they're probably not a two hour movie. They're probably like 90 minutes. So probably four and a half hours of of movies. It was a lot of death race. And uh the third one that I watched was a little weird because it was supposed to be a prequel to the original original Death Race with David Carradine. But like there's some plot holes in it. But it's a movie called <laughs> Death Race. And you know, plot holes are okay. And uh yeah, so we watched it and we studied for ASA or ASA 101. And we, uh, we did, we, we both scored in the upper nineties on the, on the paper test. So death race and studying goes hand in hand. So I highly recommend it for all college students out there.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's, that's great. I mean, I had, that was a habit I had in high school. That was how I studied, right? Like I would put on like 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 the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies and study and I was terrible. Like so once I got to college, I learned that that's not that's not how I should study. But I'm glad it worked for you
0: guys. Well, it it works when uh, there isn't a lot of thought that needs to be put into the movie. You know, it's like what what's happening now. Okay, cars are being blown up. Okay, let's read some more. You know, it's it's not a real hard movie to watch in terms of. You know, you don't, there's not a lot of nuance in the death race movies, but they were fun. Like I wouldn't be able to watch the new Mad Max and study because there's a lot of interpersonal stuff and, and, you know, character development and things like that. Not, not on the, not on these.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the new Mad Max, I mean, uh, Fury Road is beautiful. Like, yes, it's just the cinematography of it is just fantastic. And like the whole like when they're racing past the tor- like the the burning tornadoes. Right. Like it's just wow, this is you can't take your eyes off of it. Right. Like it's, I can see how it would be terrible for studying But yes. death race. I, I can't remember if I've watched it or not. I think I may have seen pieces of like the original death race here and there, because uh, it's certainly in my mental image of what like those kind of movies are. But I don't know that I yeah. saw any of the new ones. So uh, I would highly recommend it. I would recommend
0: uh I'll get you the actual names of them. I, I there was another one of like the there was a fourth one that I watched. It's it's on Netflix right now and it was not up to the quality of the other three. And that's saying something. So wow. Um, like it, it, it could almost be there and it's got a star studded cast in this, in this fourth one. It's, uh, it's got Danny Trejo in it. It's got Danny Glover in it. Um, yeah. Um, wow. It's got, it's got a couple more people that I recognize in it. Uh, I can't remember their names off the top of my head right now, but, um, but yeah, the first, the first three, and maybe it was because I wasn't paying attention to the first three that they were like better in my mind because I was studying. I wasn't actually investing watching in it, but yeah, it's, I do recommend the first three. I don't know if I can recommend the fourth. (laughs) And then uh, there, we did find out that there was yet another death race movie that was done fairly recently by the original director of the original death race. So I have to track that one down too. but uh, but, yeah, so that's sailing and death race, so) <clears throat> um... <laughs> what a combination <laughs> yep uh since since it has been a while since we uh recorded um and we had the the Philmont talk in between as well uh i have aaron and i have actually gone sailing on lake erie with some friends of ours uh they were uh kind enough to have us you know come up and and take them out on their boat and then we would practice our sailing skills what we actually practiced was uh, seasickness skills. So Lake Erie is maybe about 50 feet deep. You know, it's, it is not a deep lake, um, especially fairly near shore. Um, and the wind had just kicked up and the, the waves were only about three feet, but uh, they were they had a very short period. So they were very, very quick. And, yeah, the boat going up and down or side to side. Uh, We had taken Dramamine before, and it hit Aaron first, and then it hit me. And it was, it was not a pleasant experience.
1: You know, yeah, there's this there's this other uh, there's high adventure thing for Scouts called Seabase, where you go down to the Florida Keys and you go out sailing for two weeks instead of going backpacking for two weeks. There's a reason why mm-hmm. I went backpacking, because I don't, like, <laughs> there's people in our group who are like, oh, we should totally do Seabase. Like, oh, you should totally do Seabase, because I will be, like, oh, you get used to it. Like, uh, I don't yeah. know that I can. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, it, there's some things you can do to alleviate that, um, one of which is one of the people that took us out, she would stay the night before on the boat. and I see that. And the rocking back and forth in the marina is not enough to get you seasick, but it is enough to acclimatize you to the motion. And um, it was just like most of the seasickness is kind of like an inner ear thing yes but like i didn't feel nauseous per se you know normally when you would feel seasickness and nausea it feels kind of like how you feel when you have the flu and you need to purge some things my like i could feel the blood pulling out of my hands and uh you know and it was like i was very pale and it was it was not a what I would consider a normal seasickness feeling I knew that's what it was but it was it did not feel at all like motion sickness to me Um, it was much much more intense and uh, I don't know if that was because of the Dramamine or uh, when I took the Dramamine like it was suppressing the nausea but not anything else Um, Not, not
1: the rest of it right
0: um but yeah, it was like, it was like my, my hands were almost going numb sort of thing. And I was helming the boat at the time. So that was, you know, I had to say, Hey, like Aaron was already going at that point And I was like, I'm going to need to let somebody else take over in a moment. And, uh, yeah. So I at least had the presence of mind to take my glasses off before I leaned over the boat. But yeah, both of us were there.
1: Everybody does tell me, and I think you told me this too, like, you know, you do acclimate to it. Like it is, you do truly get your sea legs and it is one of those things like your inner ear just needs to adjust to it. And you just need that like couple of days to get your system to, to adjust. But I don't know that I want to spend those couple of days (laughs) doing that. Unless I go to Florida first and go, like you say, like you get on a boat and you just like acclimate for a couple of days before you actually uh, I'd much rather, I think, do altitude sickness again. Yeah, than I sea mean, sickness it's again. I
0: I think um, if we were like in Florida or if the, the waves were calmer, we would have been fine. Um, it was just that the the way that the waves were when, you know, with that were kicked up by the wind on Lake Erie just were not good for us. Yeah, our instructor for ASA, he's like, don't ever let anyone tell you that they don't get seasick. Um, they just haven't gone sailing enough. <laughs> Everybody gets seasick at some point. And yeah, you do. He, he did say you do get acclimatized to it, et cetera. But that was that. I mean, that's something that turns a lot of people off of sailing is not being able, not giving it a chance, giving themselves a chance to acclimatize to it. Right. Um, but it is a like, if I hadn't known that, that would have been a very, very unpleasant experience. And, you know, we would have been seriously reconsidering our life plan of buying a boat and living on it. Right. So, right, right. It is something that we knew was going to happen. We just didn't expect it to happen this early. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, more power to you, man. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So, um, for some reason, I got on a really big reading tear for a while, and uh, so I've got a list of books. I'll, I'll I won't go into into depth on all of them, but I'll tell you if I recommend them or not and what they're basically about. Uh, my first one is A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Uh, has a lot of Firefly vibes, you know, kind of a a small ship, uh kind of a ragtag crew pulled from a bunch of different places. Uh one of the main differences though is they're not all human. It's a it's a sci-fi setting where there are aliens and there are multiple different aliens. Um and the humans are actually not like the dominant race of beings that are out there. They've just more or less recently joined the intergalactic uh, you know, governments and stuff that are out there and it's uh it it was good um it was mainly about the characters on that ship there is a bigger plot but it's just mainly there for this is the reason why we're going from point a to point b is for this plot piece but really it's about the interaction of the different characters on board the ship and it was enjoyable it was just it was kind of a, a nice casual read And I think when I get into them into the mood of that sort of book again, I will pick I will pick up the second one. There's several out there. Our friend Natalie was uh, the one who recommended that to me. So she's Ah. so uh, that will kind of tell you more or less, you know, kind of like, you know, some of her interests or things that she posts on Twitter and such. So I think it fits pretty well with that. So. Then I read uh these are probably not in order Savage Legion and Savage Bounty by Matt Wallace. The uh Savage Bounty just came out a couple of weeks ago when we we're recording this. I read the first one knowing that the second one was coming out. I enjoyed the first one enough that I immediately wanted to read the second one. The fantasy civilization that is the main where most of the characters come from uh is Basically gobbles up other cities and other governments, uh, to kind of use their resources to keep their own, uh, city, their own government's, uh, civilization running. They don't seem to be able, they don't seem to have the idea of a, you know, self-sustaining it's constant, constant expansion. There's some parallels to the modern day, um, in some of these cases, uh, there's also some parallels to, uh, I would say, uh, Avatar and Bossing Say with the there is no war in Bossing Say" sort of portion okay. of that. None of the most of the citizens of this civilization don't know. They know that barbarians are basically always at war with them, but they don't know that they're the aggressor so like the higher ups in the government and the and such they know what's going on but they're keeping all that from their populace it's it's good it's interesting um and obviously things go wrong so uh and (laughs) so it was it was good um i'm hoping i'm hoping the third one is uh, uh comes out and comes out fairly quickly another one that i got uh this was an audiobook that i got it's a sci-fi novella uh emergency skin by n.k jemisin um it's uh the premise is basically a civilization is running out of a macguffin sort of thing uh this organic substance and they have to send a scout back to the ruins of earth which supposedly has some and uh they send the the scout back and the scout discovers that the ruins of earth isn't exactly as his civilization described it and, um, (laughs) nice finds some interesting things there. And, uh, uh, I will, uh, warn anyone listening. It's, uh, it is, you could say that it is political. Um, and it's my kind of politics. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I recommend it. It's really, really good. I haven't read anything or listened to anything by NK Jemison that I haven't liked so far. So I it was a pretty safe pickup for me. The next one is uh A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, also known as Ursula Vernon. Uh it's a young adult sort of fantasy. Uh, novel uh, that has a carnivorous sourdough starter as one of the side characters basically it it revolves around a young woman who has uh, some minor magics to have her baked goods come to life like the gingerbread depending upon what she puts into the gingerbread cookie mix influences how active and how aggressive and etc. on, uh, the cookies that finally come out and, uh, and it's good. It's, it's a fun one. Uh, I can't give away too much more without, uh, ruining some of the surprises that are in it. So, but I recommend it for sure.
1: Dare I say it sounds tasty. It, <laughs> it does it does i'm sorry guys Repeat dads. come on you gotta you gotta do it occasionally uh, right? yeah anyway yeah. i mean
0: <laughs> i mean uh you know there's there's been a lot of dad jokes lately flown around on twitter um in fact, I'll lead that into my next thing. We talked about Mad Max and Death Race and Gaslands. Um, I'll, I'll, I will I'll wrote it down here, but we've already talked about it. Um, so my next one is actually Hades, which is a, a roguelike um, video game. And uh, there's a lot of dad joke type things. I don't know if it's related to that, um, but running around on the Internet today. So... For instance, I would tell you my joke about Icarus, but it just never lands.
1: <laughs> so, uh, nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a whole slew of them and I won't murder them. Yeah. Hades is good. It's a uh, roguelike. You play uh Zagoras who is the son of Hades and Persephone who has just learned that he's the son of Persephone and not Nyx. Who, which is uh, he? Who has basically been his mother all of his life? He didn't know Persephone was his actual mother, so he's trying to break out of of uh, Tartarus and Asphodel and the Elysium Fields and get back to the land of the mortals to find Persephone, who is his mother. So and and meet her. Um, and it's it's fun. Uh, you 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 fight your way up. You die. You come back. Uh, to the halls of Hades, and there are some things that you collect during your each of your runs that you can then buy up and get by that make more powerful yourself, more powerful, or the weapons that you carry more powerful. Um, and then so you you go a little bit little bit more each time as as well as you can. But being a rogue like the the order of things changes and sometimes the creatures you're fighting slightly change. So some runs are easy and some runs are not so easy. Um, so it's not a, um, not a guarantee that you will always get further than you did the last run. (laughs) So nice. Yeah. Um, and then last thing for me, um, is uh, still working on Dyson Fall. Haven't been able to play lately. Uh, So I've been trying to work on, um, I think the the kids nowadays, um, quote unquote kids nowadays are calling them oracles. Um, but basically, oracles are random tables or draws from a card deck or whatever um, that allow you to randomize certain things. And so I'm working on oracles to help GMs or, or groups themselves to come up with interesting places to explore. So there's, you know, like having a certain number of... Uh, this is the type of location. This is the type of treasure you might find. This is the type of, uh, obstacles you might run into or creatures you might fu- run into, you know, so I'm, I've been noodling over that for a little while and I'm still working a little bit on the community building side of things. I'm trying to make it fun and interesting to use. Um, but I also don't want it to be a giant headache of keeping track of things. Um, you know, I want it to be fairly straightforward, but if I make it too simple, then it's almost like, what's the point of doing it? It's not very fun to do it. Right. I want it to be, I want it to be like a mini game in its own right. Uh, but I also don't want it to be so complex that people are like, why, why bother? You know, uh, because it's too complex to keep track of. So I'm trying to find that balance, right? Right.
1: You don't want to collapse. You don't. You don't want it to collapse under its own weight, right? And like have that kind of fun, emergent complexity that gets people riffing on their ideas yes. and kind of building off one another without going, "Oh, god, this is really boring. Why are we doing this?" Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. So yeah, I can. I, that's just. It's a fine balance because I think we've both played games that have done both. So. Yep.
0: Yep, I've even started thinking about like Zombies Run has a, a little mechanic where you go out and you pick up things like batteries and underwear and bottled water and stuff like that, and then you bring them back to your encampment and the little mini game that's there that doesn't really do much in terms of Zombies Run but is still fun is you turn you build your encampment and different things. Different areas of the encampment do different things. So I'm like, do I want to go that route or do I want a simple you put points in and you get this ability? You know? Um, so there's there's a bunch of different stuff that I'm I'm thinking about and will need playtesting uh definitely before I put it in the actual game. So
1: Yeah, I think my zombie zombies run town is actually built of like 50% sports bras. Oh yeah. I just yeah, get yeah. so many sports bras drops whenever I'm going out for a run. Like I actually haven't used the town build uh, all that much. I like I got in like, ooh, I could do all these things and then I kinda got distracted by just going off and doing the runs. But yeah, it's funny, like he just kinda gets on this loop where it's like, you know, you found another car battery or something. And you're just thinking they're going, if this were the real world, how the heck would I be carrying all this stuff? But in any case, uh i get what you're saying like it could be fun to like or a mix right like you you seed it and then other things add to it over time but
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. i think it's a cool idea like i like the idea of the mini game that you do stuff with and then it just kind of gets people riffing right because i think some of the mo- most fun i've had in my campaigns is when you got the group doing that and building out some part of it and everybody's just tossing ideas into it and it's a it's a fun it's fun to be able to riff
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like um, and I think that's where the oracles is going to go for with the like creating something where you're exploring if it is going to be more of a X crawly type thing where you the oracles are basically kind of like the the skeleton or a set of rumors that your characters have heard about for where you're going to go. And it gives the the GM a skeleton to actually flesh out for the actual adventure, but but everything in the in the the rumors, you know, is true until the GM says, "Oh, wait, no, that's that's old information or that's false information," and then they can go in expecting one thing and then get another. So that's I think that's where that's gonna end up going. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about how the community building stuff is gonna go, but yeah, I think it'd be. Kind of cool if the players could get in on that. I I want it player driven, not GM driven for community. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for me. So what were you going to what are you what have you been doing since Philmont?
1: (laughs) Well, a a miracle happened while I was at Philmont. Uh, So I have I have a Nintendo Switch. We got I got it actually at the beginning of the pandemic. My family and I, we all got Animal Crossing and then we hunkered down. And then and then somehow I broke my Switch in what? in a unique way where it, it well I, I broke it but only to like a certain extent. So the the joy motes wait. Joy motes? Joy-Cons. 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 Do they have so they snap onto the sides of the Switch? No, they, they they wouldn't work when connected to the Switch, but would work when not connected to the Switch. Yes, so, exactly,
0: right? So the sides of the the Joy-Cons where they where they go in the rails, um there are little lights that are I think like fiber optic because and they connect one to the other. And so mm. that might be when they're on the switch, they might be there may be just some gunk in there. I don't know, maybe that's just a guess. I've had to, I've had to troubleshoot a lot of switch stuff lately myself. So,
1: <laughs> so it's just, it, it stopped working. Uh, and like, and I was using my switch primarily as a handheld thing. Like I wasn't really, I was almost never used it docked. And so uh, this kind of killed my interest in the switch because I, yeah. like, I just couldn't really use it with the joy con connected anymore. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't see it. Right. So go to Philmont, go on vacation, come back home, power up the switch. And I will note that I had actually sent it back to Nintendo for servicing, and they couldn't recreate the problem. Right, they okay. sent it back to me saying cannot recreate issue. Like, uh, but it happens to me every time. So I come back. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll take one more run at this because I don't want to necessarily buy a new one. But also, there's the new, um, there's the new like rev of the Switch coming out of the fall. Maybe I'll just get that, plug it in, turn it on, and it works. Just and works. It's worked consistently ever since. <laughs> so it has it has miraculously healed itself in the time like i just left it alone for a month and now uh and now it's fine okay all right so this has led me to playing entirely too much Fire Emblem Three Houses. So I talked about that like a year ago. Uh, you know, it might be only days ago when the episode actually posts. I think actually that one that one is actually out there, right? Uh, in Three Houses, it's like this Japanese-style uh, role-playing game where you're managing squad-based combat, and then you have all this role-playing off to the side, and I just occasionally get completely addicted to Fire Emblem and lose all track of time, and I have uh, I've done it again with Fire Emblem. So it's uh, now that I've got it up and running again, and like I haven't fired up my PS4 yeah, PS4 in a long time because my computer can only get my uh, television only has enough HDMI ports to connect to two devices, which is okay. something I didn't realize when I bought it. <laughs> so you can only have one connected at a time, and it's just been the Switch. So I'm very glad that my Switch is back, and uh, I don't have to buy a new one. So that's good. good. That's very good. Uh, yep. Yes, yes. Uh, my, I have also done a heck of a lot of summer reading. So my summer reading list, which we, uh, we talked about one of our podcasts that is actually out, uh, my overall list had uh, 13 books on it. And I added two additional books to it. And then I lost one. So um, the books I added were Alien Bug Hunt, which is a collection of short stories involving colonial marines dealing with various alien but not capital A alien uh, threats. And included a story by Scott Sigler, who wrote Alien Phalanx. Which is what got me turned onto the series, the like this collection in the first place. And I think that it takes its name from the fact, like, when you're watching Aliens, they talk about whether it's going to be a stand up fight or another bug hunt. Right. And that alludes to the fact that the Colonial Marines are going up against weird stuff enough that they have a term for it. Right. Right. Like, there are enough bug hunts, in addition to their regular peacekeeping and, you know, suppression and whatever else other missions they're on, that they occasionally go up against weird, uh, Xenomorphs that are not our favorite xenomorph, you know, he with the uh, they of the uh, multiple jaws and what have you, and uh, which we we'll call facehuggers. And so this this is a collection of books of short stories that revolve around them on those kinds of missions. There's some that are kind of like tangential or tangential to what happened in the movie Aliens. Um, so like little side stories here and there. You get to find out what happened to Burke. And if you remember, Carter Burke uh, kind of goes off on his yeah. own, gets you know attacked by an alien. But what happened next? And so it's a, it's a very good, there's a one story which is actually, uh, uh Scott Sigler's story where it's told from the perspective of the aliens uh, going into the terraforming base at, uh, that we see in, in the movie aliens. And that was, you know, it's very well done. That's cool. I enjoyed it. I think, I think it's one of these things, right? Like there, you have to love aliens and yep. if you love aliens and you love colonial Marines, then this is the book for you. If you do not love aliens and you do not love colonial re- uh, remains, marines, this is uh, probably not the book for you. I, I actually watched the beginning of,
0: of aliens again recently. And, um, you know, it came out quite a while ago. Uh, pre my pre or very early on. When when did it come out? Trying 1986. To think. OK, yeah. So definitely pre my entering the workforce. Um, now that I've entered the workforce and lived through some pretty cruddy managers and, and other sales type people and things like that that scene where he's convincing Ripley to join up and be like well I mean you could you could stay and just continue to be a loader you know you know that sort of you know it's like just looking down on her there's nothing wrong with that with subtext (laughs) there's everything wrong with that subtext um you know it's like man I hate Burke even more than I did in 1986 like, he was a douche back then, but he is, oh my gosh,
1: so, so bad. He's such a weasel. So such a bad. weasel. And, and so, you just yeah, see so it. If you want to see him, yes. yeah. So if you want to experience him getting his Just Desserts, uh, pick up Alien Bug Hunt. Okay. So uh, I, I also picked up uh, Children of Ruin, which was the follow-up to Children of Time by um, Adrian... Tychowski, no, Masquer his last name. Tychowski, thank you. I always, I always massacre his last name, which is terrible because he writes great books. <laughs> um, damn, my lack of uh, phonetics. Trying to remember uh, if we talked about this case.
0: before or if this was one that uh, you and I just talked with, but not on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. I know we went on a whole riff about how I can't pronounce things. Yes. <laughs> because I skipped over I didn't think I'd ever have to know anything about phonics when I grew up. But it turns out <laughs> for kids, as we've said in previous times, phonics is important and it does actually help you pronounce things. But yeah. that's not the point of this particular piece. Uh, he just these are two really fantastic books. So Children of Time is actually a book about um uplifting of an alien civilization so earth is in its last days it's all going to crap we send out a bunch of like generational ships and um this project which the intent of the project was when they got to this planet they were going to seed it with monkeys um, and then they were going to infect the monkeys with an uplift virus and then over time this would give rise to an intelligent civilization that would want to be our friends that was the plan uh it is not a true tremendous of a spoiler to say the things do not go according to plan. It doesn't monkeys sound died. like a good the plan. <laughs> <laughs> the monkeys, the monkeys die, but the virus doesn't, and so the virus lands on this planet, and there are um, arachnids on the planet, and so the virus was like basically programmed to seek out something to uplift. It couldn't find monkeys, so it took spiders. <laughs> So, if you have a thing about spiders, I don't recommend reading this book because there are a lot of spiders. But it's it's really good in terms of, like, it does, because it's all children of time because it's told over this massive scale. And so, you see the evolution of this spider civilization. And it's he just does a fantastic job with it. It's really, really impressive. And meanwhile, off to the side, there's this... Human generational starship that comes to this planet basically gets chased off, tries to go off and colonize somewhere else, and it's the dealing of like the humans and the spiders eventually like kind of have to figure out how to deal with one another. And it's just it's just a fantastic book. I really enjoyed it, and so cool. I immediately went out and got Children of Ruin, which does more of the same, um, but with octopuses. Okay, so humans, humans doing the thing that
0: humans do which is sometimes, which is not really think through the consequences of their actions before they do something.
1: Yes. Yes. And then what are the uh, what are the wonders and horrors that evolve um, (laughs) from the the, all just all of the unintended consequences of of those kinds of interventions? And it's it's very good. I think it's the most like I love David Brin's Uplift series. And so this is like getting in on the ground floor of Uplift, where you just get to see these civilizations come into being. And he just he does a fantastic job with it. Like I loved Isaac Asimov's Foundation series because it's a similar sort of like grand time scope where you know you get to see how civilization evolves, and that's just really nifty. So I, I really enjoyed that book, cool. and, and its sequel, so I recommend cool. picking him up. Uh, I, I did lose one book off my list, which was Inhibitor Phase by Alistair Reynolds. This is the new Revelation space novel that was supposed to come out uh, July 27th. I went out to go read it because it was going to be the next book that I was going to pull from my list, and only to find that it's out coming out on October 12th of 2021 so i don't know what the backstory is there presumably you know baby covid who knows yeah in any case uh it's not coming out until october which was a bit of a disappointment because i had my heart set on reading this book (laughs) and now i'm like oh darn darn yeah so
0: next summer reading list or winter reading list
1: yeah, potentially. Mike might, might come up on the winter break reading list. I don't know. I love I do love the Revelation Space novels and it would be a nice little gift to get in the middle of Christmas. Like just, you know, ask my parents for that and then, you know, get it for my birthday or something and read it over Christmas break. So I, I have entered a new phase. I don't know if you've entered this phase where it used to be I would buy stuff, a new switch, new computer, or whatever, and my When I would buy my stuff, my old tech would become my kid's new stuff, right? So when my daughter was four, she would play on my uh, Nintendo DS. I upgraded to the next DS. She got my old DS, right? Well, we have now come full circle because I bought my daughter a new computer for college. So I get her old Surface Pro. Nice. Nice. Uh, I needed a Microsoft computer to be able to do Microsofty things because I'm typically a Mac guy um, and the Surface Pro is about four years old, but this is the key thing. It can run campaign cartographer. So I can finally <laughs> use the humble bundle of campaign cartographer that I got. That has all these great resources, maps, icons, tokens, and stuff that you can use for your online game. But I didn't have anything that could actually run it. So now I have something that can run it.
0: Yeah, let me know how that goes because it's like really like, it is based on CAD software, which I know how to oh, do, yes. I know, I, but I have not done in many, many a year, at least 18. Uh, Cause that's how old my daughter is. So, you know, I, I had the same, I picked up the same humble bundle and they're, they're like, here is the all exclusive guide is like 500 pages long. Um, and I'm like, when am I going to find the time to even read a portion of that to get into this thing?
1: So I have a plan and so my, my plan when I got the humble bundle was actually to not actually relearn, uh, um, campaign cartographer. Cause I actually learned it. I used to use CC two, the campaign cartographer two, uh, way back in the day I did all my, um, Greyhawk maps in that. And cool. then I learned CC three, uh, which was a significant upgrade. And then I did CC 3 Pro which is an even better upgrade and so it's uh, it, it's become more intuitive over time but to your point it is fundamentally a CAD program and if you have no experience with CAD it is a it's a steep learning curve it's just a very steep learning curve but that wasn't the plan the plan was to take all the assets and use them because oh. I know enough about campaign cartographer to load up all the resources do the export and then just be able to use it so I'm planning on using it as a platform for art resources for my online games and less as a to actually go out and map my campaign because i don't have enough time for that just like you don't have time for that Right.
0: <laughs> well i mean if you can export them um i am much more familiar with uh and and my skills are not nearly as rusty with photoshop as you know as with a, a cad program that i've never used before i know that there will be Like if I just want to put out a pretty, pretty map, I can use Photoshop with, with those things. Um, if I wanted something where I could zoom in and out and, and, you know, be able to measure the exact distance and other things like that, um, you know, campaign cartographer is definitely the thing for that. I, and I know that there's some tools in there that do some randomization and other things like that, that. You know like laying down groves of trees and things like that that would be a lot easier in campaign cartographer if i figured out how to do it but i i yeah maybe maybe just pulling the assets out and making stuff in photoshop would be easier for me
1: yeah so that's my plan i mean there there is a, a amazing collection of maps and and other things so Hopefully that'll work. I think I, I think I can get it exported into a standard format that I can then use uh, elsewhere, but you know, we'll see. Now I have the computer to play with it on. Um, cool. Talking cool. about like playing with stuff. So you 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 mentioned this uh, briefly before, but I want to come back to it, which is Gaslands Refueled, which uh, is, looks hella gonzo, bonkers, awesome. This thing, So we talked about it before, but I don't know that we actually got into what it was, Right. which is post-apocalyptic Matchbox cars. Yes. Yep.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. So you've played it. Why don't you describe it? Because I just i got the book because you mentioned it in passing in our last podcast. My friend from my local gaming group, we're getting together to see off one of our friends. We're talking about playing some battle tech. And he's like, oh, and I got this new thing called Gaslands. It looks really cool. I've been playing with my kids. I have all this stuff that I just ordered for it. We should play that too. And I'm like, okay, well, now two people whose opinions I trust have mentioned this game. Maybe I should go learn more about it. Yeah. So,
0: um, I knew that I was going to be going on uh, a trip, uh, in a you know with some friends, and before that we did the ASA one hundred and one stuff, and I watched you know three episodes, three movies of Death Race, and I had picked up Gaslands before then, and I thought you know this is pretty cool. I used to play BattleTech back in the day. I like blowing stuff up, Mad Max, etc. And so I picked it up, and then after the three Death Race movies, I'm like, all right people do you guys want to play a game of gaslands while we're all together and they're like sure you know no no worries we'll 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 play one game and um and so i printed out some uh you know the the 3d printing community has put out models for like containers uh like shipping containers um rams to glue on your matchbox cars and and guns to glue on your matchbox cars etc um and also the movement templates for gaslands itself so you know given the fact that my new printer new er printer uh actually works fairly well uh compared to my last one i printed out all the templates and i printed out some of those containers um and uh was happened to have been going through. Actually, it was during our ASA sailing thing, we went and went to the grocery store to pick up some stuff and in one of the aisles was just a big matchbox display, a dollar a car, so I I picked up 8 of them. Um and so I I took all that to to the vacation and um since and I read the book, no one else had the book, they knew of it. And so since I had read the rules i just moderated and so we actually had four players um and we ended up playing twice two different days uh the first day we did an actual race so everybody starts at the at the starting line and we had this big six foot long table and uh we put some stuff down and uh and the race was on and uh it it took about an hour and a half which, if you've played Battletech before, you know that, that would that is an extremely fast game compared to Battletech. You know, Battletech can be really slow.
1: Unless you're me, in which case you get taken out in the first round because, you know, somebody hit you with a trebuchet in the head and your mech got destroyed. And right. I'm not bitter. Right. <laughs>
0: no, I've, I've been there.
1: Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, well,
0: I'm going to go do something else, guys. Um, yeah, yeah, like, I'm I'm used to, in Battletech, doing, like... Lance on lances, you know, one, two, two full lances, um, and just, you know, a lance per person, and having more than two people playing, even with two people playing, that's, you know, eight mechs that you have to deal with. Is it can, there's some streamlining, I think, that if I went back to it today, that I would might be able to get stuff a little more streamlined. Um, I don't know if the newer versions did do streamlining, um, but I haven't played recently, so but gaslands is meant it's kind of a spiritual successor to car wars i think the next time we get together uh one of my friends uh who was playing he he kickstarted the new edition of car wars so we're going to play that and we can do some comparison and contrasting
1: okay okay
0: um but the basics of it are you start out every you start out in phase 1 gear phase 1 and everyone starts out in first gear and uh you know whoever has pole position or the first player position um they can roll up to their full handling dice and if they get uh there's different results you can get most of which are good some of which are you're slightly losing control but you can also use that to position yourself so like if you roll a slide you can actually use that to drift around obstacles and such but you're but you're still slightly out of control so you take some hazard tokens and if during your turn or anyone else's turn you have six or more hazard tokens on your car you have to roll to see if you've wrecked um or or gotten into a crash sort of thing nice and uh like i said it's it's really fun um you uh, let me go back for a second you start out in first first gear phase. In second gear phase, everyone who is at in who has their car in gear two or higher also gets to go. And then it goes to third gear phase. If you have gone to third gear or higher, you then get to go. So it goes up to sixth gear. And if you uh, so if you're going in sixth gear, you're going really 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 fast. And uh, the higher the gear you're in. whatever gear you're in determines which templates you can use when you're in you know first or second gear you have some shorter templates you have some some tighter turns things like that but you don't have access to the really long or fast stuff when you're in sixth gear you have access to the long and fast stuff with like you know six six to eight inch long straight template stuff but you don't have access to a lot of turning (laughs)
1: Which could be problematic,
0: which could be problematic. So you kind of have to balance. Do I go more often or do I play it safe and go a little less often? And, you know, so like in the race, I gave everybody uh, it was it was the starter suggestion out of the book. Everybody got a buggy and a car. Um, so they had two vehicles and, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of did some stuff there. Uh, you know, they, they had two things to play with. So if one was going super fast, but they didn't want the other one to go super fast and kind of play it safe with the other one, they could do that. Right. So that was also the game where we learned that maybe you do want to shift to, to shift up in gear to keep going. Cause everyone started in first. And, uh, we had one person who didn't really, uh, grok that initially. And so went up to like second gear, but then the rest, like a lot other, other people got up to like fifth gear. So she was kind of like, okay, well, both my cars are like in second and I'm not, not doing anything. And then, but eventually it came around and then, so she was, you know, she got the hang of it right away. She ended up almost winning by the way. So (laughs) just because she started off slow did not mean that she was not in the race. In fact, she, uh, except for a set of exceptional die rolls at the end and some good positioning, um, the person who won uh, almost didn't finish the race, (laughs) Um, but ended up shooting across the finish line just before she did. but everybody had such fun with it that um, the majority of the people in that game wanted to play another game. Um, And so basically I set up um, just kind of a, I each gave them just one car this time. Uh, We set it up on a little tiny oval table and put some stuff in there. And uh, we kind of randomly rolled. uh, I picked the situation, but we, you, the situation was basically like a death match. And the thing that made it more interesting for the audience, um, because you can if you do certain things, you can get audience votes, which allow you to do cool stuff with your car. Oh, nice. And so like like remove all the hazard, remove a die six of hazard tokens off your car if by spending some audience votes. Um so if you're like just about to wipe out, you can then roll a die six. Hopefully you get a high number, you wipe out a bunch of those hazard tokens, and then you can keep going gonzo crazy. But to make it more interest interesting for the fictional audience, uh there were three turrets, uh machine gun turrets on the on the table. And whoever ended up getting within a certain radius of that turret during their movement phase, the the first time during the movement phase of that gear phase, it would fire on them. So we had a lot of people <laughs> being shot at by the automated turrets. Um, we then had a several of the cars uh, ram the turrets uh, and run them over. Um, we had we had a lot. We we figured out uh, we 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 worked out the wipeout rules. Really well in that game, you know. There's there are multiple times in in both games there were people who wiped out. And one of the things you do in the wipeout check, the wipeout step, is you make a flip check, and you roll. And if you, I'm trying to remember it. I think if you roll above your gear, you're okay. But if you roll under okay. your gear, you flip. And I don't mean, like, you roll. (laughs) I mean, you, like, I mean, if you've seen Fast and Furious, I'm sure stuff like that's happened. But, like, the typical car race movie ending where they hit something and the car flies up into the air and lengthwise tumbles end over end through the air and then lands – Usually blowing up um, that is the flip check, and you you have the flip check the flip check ignores all all terrain in the distance that it is flipping, but then it lands and we've had we had multiple times where the flipping car landed onto another car which caused a collision, which caused that car to wipe out. Um, And then after the wipeout step, if you have no no body points left on your car, you then roll to see if your car explodes. And then if your car explodes and there's another car within a radius of that car, that car takes damage, which could wipe that car out. The chain reactions are amazing in this game.
1: Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's a pretty fast-moving game, which I think is the the thing. When I, the one time I played Car Wars, it lasted like all day. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was it was grueling to play Car Wars. Like we were yes. all super excited, and then we kind of wandered away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Car
0: Wars is a product of its age. I'm sure that there are ways to speed it up nowadays, or maybe you already are. I'm sure. sure. Um, but like Car Wars was born out of Wargaming and Starfleet Battles era type stuff where you spent hours and hours and hours creating stuff and then had to play it over the course of a whole day or two days. You know,
1: right? Because, you know, what else are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, I mean, the, the way that
0: things are in Gaslands, I'm not sure exactly how they did it, but they they made a really fun game that feels like a car movie. Uh like a Mad Max or a Death Race movie. And you know that they specifically took inspiration from both of these things because um and from you know the Sunday 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 sort of sort of <laughs> things because and I'll tell you why. In there there are uh, in Gaslands Reloaded, they they Gaslands Reloaded is the newer version, but really they had Gaslands and then a couple of supplemental PDFs that came out, and Gaslands Reloaded has all those PDFs included in there. One of which is a war rig as your kind of base of operations, and you can play it as a campaign. And so you have a war rig and a bunch of vehicles and you go out on the wastelands. Then there's a death race thing, which has literal, um, what the first movie, the first death race movie that we watched had literal power up pads that cars would drive over that would activate their weapons. And they have a game (laughs) mode where that happens. You have to drive over the sword circle and it will activate your weapons and then when you act and when you drive over the shield power up it activates some of your defenses like smoke screens or mines or things like that um and uh so those two things definitely inspirations uh the uh the monster truck rally stuff there is another of game mode called truckosaurus Which has a little dinosaur made out of cars that shoots flames out of its mouth, uh, can pick up cars and eat them, and uh, has a wrecking ball as its tail. And basically all the cars go into this giant arena and... um, on certain phases, your opponent, you know, say you have like five or six people, like the person to your right or left will then take control of truckasaurus's movement at the moment and can face it in any direction you it wants and then activate its weapons. Um and then, you know, as more as more phases go on, you'll have a chance to activate truckasaurus and your other opponents will have a chance to activate Truchosaurus um has infinite ammo and really can't be killed um you're basically trying to get as much audience votes as you can uh and also to eliminate your competition uh because as far as i can tell truckasaurus can't be destroyed wow that's fantastic
1: you see as a, as a kid i loved Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I I was just going to say, there's a wealth
0: of stuff that, like, you and I grew up on that has influenced this game.
1: Yeah, so I love, I can remember when I was a little kid, like five, six, seven, or whatever, I love matchbox, matchbox cars. And I would just spend like a Saturday playing by myself, setting up the massive car race throughout my entire house, jumping them down the stairs, coming, making up these rules in my head about who survived and who didn't when they cleared this the, the <laughs> landing and what happened, right? And so I could just like spend all this time destroying my model cars. And then, um, you know, do it all again like two weeks later. And so that like a little bit of me is still that like seven-year-old who just loves to play with his Matchbox cars. And although my son went through a matchbox car phase he did not do like the demolition derby style stuff that i did with my matchbox cars he was much better with his cars um and he just never got into kind of like the the i guess role playing with cars like you know just and my friends and i would take our matchbox cars and we would ram them together like we would set up like you know the track right and then you would set up through the whole house we would unleash them just so that they could crash into one another right Yep. so uh i love that part of it and i love the idea that they, somebody made a game that's basically doing this i love the modding aspect to it right like the 3d printing stuff that you were talking about but also like i just googled real quick how people are modding their matchbox cars that's fantastic and i just happened the other day to open up this locker we have outside where we kept all the kids toys and what have you it's like they outdoor toys and i found there's like a, a a bucket that is full of rusty matchbox cars like like, those are perfect i know what i'm using on saturday yeah like cool this is great i can't wait (laughs)
0: like like um they have a, a whole bunch of different uh classes of car You know so like they have a buggy and they have a car those are kind of your basics um but you can have like a school bus you can have a war rig you can have motorcycles you can have performance cars you know basically anything you can buy in a matchbox line or find in a match you know in in a in a bucket <laughs> you know for outdoor toys uh you know you can probably find that in the gaslands, and the, they'll have stats for it that you can do um and you don't really have to create the car; you can get that deep into it um there's there's charts of like you can point by your car and but once you do that, I think the game would still run just as fast. As it is when I when I said, OK, here's your car, here's the handling, you have two crew, uh, you know, and uh, you have a forward mounted machine gun. And with the rules, you can fight. Each crew can fire a weapon. So if there's nobody in your forward mounted in your forward mounted firing area, your crew can fire three sixty out the windows with their with their submachine guns basically their their pistols or whatever they have inside but if there is somebody in front you can fire one crew can fire that and then the other crew can fire their pistol and that's that's what we that's what we did for both games and it was hugely fun um but i can see in the future if you know at when you want to add more complexity to the game you can you know Arm your cars with missile launchers or Gatling guns or the experimental lasers, uh, you know, or whatever uh, you can soup up your performance car with the experimental fusion engine, you know, et cetera. There's, there's, there's a lot to it that I haven't mentioned. Like there is a setting that is part of it. um, But you obviously don't need the setting. still have fun with the game and that's really awesome and then you can have more fun if you want to get into the setting uh which which is like different corporate sponsored racing death race teams and each of those corporate sponsors have access to different types of equipment and such to build their their vehicles with
1: wow yeah it also it strikes me as a great con game i think one of the One of the things that I loved about going to Gen Con and Origins, uh, particularly in the Savage Worlds community, is people would build out these great, like, diorama-like terrain for you to play with. And yep, yep. Uh, I could just totally see this taking it. Like, if, if, I, if I enjoy it as much as I think I might, like, that would be cool. Like, once cons come back after the pandemic and, like, being able to actually go and, and just, like... Hey, guys, I got Matchbox cars. Oh, and I 3D printed and painted up some terrain. Do you want to you wanna play, right? Like, yep. you get that nice crowd that gathers around and people are cheering it on. Like, that was always a great feeling at Gen Con. And uh, I could see this game doing that yeah you can you can totally go whole hog with the terrain
0: and everything like that like for our race we had books on the table and a water bottle and (laughs) some markers and then and then the random 3d printed stuff that i had brought um so like you don't need a lot of stuff Uh, but, uh, and, and I didn't even paint the cars I did. They were just straight out of the package when, when we played. Um, but you know, as time progresses, uh, I'm going to, you know, add some, you know, paint those cars up. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of people on YouTube that have put out stuff about how they've modded their cars. They'll actually drill out the rivets that hold the bottom of the car to the top of the car. They'll, they'll take it apart. They'll take out the windshield. They'll, they'll prime it. They'll paint it. They'll add bits on, they'll put it all back together. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy what they're doing. Um, wow. but, uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, if they, they end up with some beautiful, beautiful stuff that I would love to see at a con con table. Um, yeah, you're 100% right there. Yeah, I, and I would love to be able to do that.
1: Right, so to start, I think Rusty Matchbox cars, plus some of my old like clicks terrain, plus yep. random stuff I've got lying around should be more than sufficient for Saturday's game, but yes. I am looking forward yes. to it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. If you had feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at com or via Twitter at layerofsecrets. You can also visit lairofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on what we've talked about.